Hey guys, Elaine here. Just a quick update before we get started. Our very first guest on She Does, Katya Blickfield, has had a major development in her work since we interviewed her. Her Vimeo series, High Maintenance, has been picked up by HBO for at least six episodes. It's super exciting. And for those of you who are just being introduced to She Does, check out that first episode to learn how Katya and her husband Ben turned a $500 passion project into a groundbreaking series. Okay, let's get started. In L.A., there's a lot of aggression, like male aggression. I think as a woman, you know, you can kind of be aside from it, and it's an advantage. I was able to not be wrapped up in the who's got the bigger, you know, Listening to She Does, a series featuring women working in media. We wanted to know how these women got to where they are today. So we asked, found out, and thought you might like to know too. I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And today, we would like to introduce you to Linda Pan, the general manager of Sundance Now Dot Club and the vice president of business development at AMC Networks. Most of our guests have been on the creative and producing side of the media industry, but Linda has a fresh perspective for you. She's a businesswoman. And later in the show, you'll meet Casey Dinell, our featured music maker for the week. She's the singer and songwriter behind White Hinterland. Like our last guest, Hannah, we met Linda in Columbia, Missouri at the 2015 True False Documentary Film Festival, where Sundance Now was a sponsor. It was Linda's first time at True False. From the moment I stepped into downtown, you just feel like the energy is so positive so filmmaker-friendly, and everybody is just really brimming with pride and joy and celebration of documentaries. Linda has worked in both fiction and nonfiction for 10 years, including time in business development in Hollywood and as a content strategist at Netflix, making the decisions of what the platform should offer to its customers. She is also a graduate of the prestigious Harvard Business School. And today, she's at SundanceNow.club, a documentary streaming service that responds to technology's influence on moviegoers' behavior by offering on-demand classics and new documentaries to watch from your couch. But there was a time, and it wasn't too long ago, when Twitter hadn't yet hatched and you didn't see people's faces glowing from their phones in restaurants and dark theaters. In fact, the internet didn't even exist. But if you put aside changes in technology, Linda says that content will always be king. When you have a good story and we're able to create a good story and make people feel something, that's value. No matter, you know, how it gets distributed, is it cable, is it satellite, is it internet? And so the content industry is always going to be churning out stuff because that's what we want. Technology is all about its effect on distribution. So if you take a look at the history of distribution, When it was just movie theaters and then television came into the picture, all the theater owners were like, oh my God, is this the end for us? 
people are just going to stay home and watch TV and, you know, TV is going to just destroy our business. And look, it was additive. You can tune in this wonderful new Westinghouse television set with just one hand like this because it has the sensational new Westinghouse single dial control. Not only that, while TV actually became a huge buyer of movies. So movies were actually finally making more money because there was television to buy. And then it was, you know, VHS and, D and DVDs. Marty, shh, you'll scare the fish. But we're missing the big football Relax. game. Relax, my VHS home video recorder is taping it right now. You know, now it's the internet, it's just, it's just another thing. But the other thing changes the picture. It just does, right? It changes how you interact with the consumer. And that's one thing that the internet has done that no other, I think, distribution technology in the past has enabled, is a direct relationship with the consumer. But we're sort of this new idea of what a channel is that just exists on the internet. We'll learn more about SundanceNow.club later, but first we want to recognize something that struck us as strange when we were researching Linda, a woman who is clearly steeped in media business models. She has two degrees in electrical engineering. Random. I know. But the decision was influenced by one of the major defining characteristics of her life. So I'm first generation. Uh, my parents immigrated from China. Linda's dad is from Beijing and her mom is from Shanghai. And they're both electrical engineers. They basically forced me to go and study electrical engineering in college. She grew up in Saskatoon, Canada, a city in central Saskatchewan. I've never heard of either of those. Yeah, she's the first person I've ever met from Saskatchewan. I'm surprised you can say it. Saskatchewan. <laughs> Saskatchewan. Sasqu Saskatchewan. The town had a population of about 260,000, but it was in the middle of nowhere. Like the nearest next town was 10 hours away. It's like very rural. I actually met someone at True False last night who went to my high school and was my year, but we never met. And we both talked about how growing up in sort of just a rural area makes you kind of want to go out into the city, you know, and that was what my childhood was like, dreaming about leaving the Paris and going to a real city, you know, making a life for myself. Linda received two degrees in electrical engineering, a bachelor's from Cornell, and a master's from Stanford. Initially, she was fairly content with her path. After all, she was always good at math and science, so going into engineering seemed perfectly normal. But things changed once Linda was offered a full ride into a PhD program in electrical engineering at Stanford. She really started thinking long and hard about how much she really wanted to be an engineer, despite her parents' wishes. You know, my parents come from a worldview of just wanting to survive. Being immigrants and moving to a new country, their number one priority was to provide for their family and to have a stable career and financial security. When I graduated from Stanford and I was looking at jobs, that was kind of my sort of come to Jesus moment. And the more I learned about the day-to-day -day of what it entailed, it just felt I, this wasn't something I wanted to do. My parents were really disappointed. 
I had a lot of tough conversations with my parents about just me feeling like this wasn't the right thing for me to do. There are moments in life when you just know that, you know, in order to continue to be a happy human being, that you you just need to go out and, and, and do what it is that you really think is the right thing for yourself. And that was sort of what I did. But it was still really hard for my parents to, I think, give up a, a certain dream of theirs, that their daughter would be a certain type of person. But they came around. <laughs> After breaking the news to her parents and divorcing herself from electrical engineering, Linda started applying for jobs, all kinds of jobs. I applied to like like 20 different random jobs, like literally just, you know, business and some like consulting and like I, even like an insurance company. And then she landed her first job, but it wasn't directly in media. Linda started working at a company called LEK in Los Angeles. LEK is a management consulting firm, and Linda's first job was working with a children's media program. Right off the bat, she started cutting her teeth in the film business industry. I thought it was super interesting to be working in an industry that I personally love, and also as a business person to deal with the complexities of working with creative products and thinking about how do you really make money from that and still keep the art form. Because at the end of the day, media is about storytelling and entertaining people. So how do you turn that into something that you get in front of other people and that they're willing to pay for? But I've always been obsessed with just movies and TV shows from childhood. But I just never even thought to work in media. It just was so far-fetched from the path that I was on. You, do you remember like a film that really stuck with you when you were a cinema paradiso? Uh -uh. <laughs> cinema paradiso is an Italian film by Giuseppe Tornatore, made in the late '80s. It's a movie about the movies post World War II and a friendship between a young boy Salvatore and a projectionist Alfredo. And when I saw that film, it was like, this is what the movies are really about. Linda spent nearly three years at LEK before moving to Media Rights Capital, or MRC. MRC is an independent film and television studio that specializes in creating films, such as A Million Ways to Die in the West, TED, The Adjustment Bureau, and Bruno. MRC works with distributors like Paramount Pictures, Sony Pictures, 20th Century Fox, Universal, Warner Brothers, and Netflix. And when Linda joined the company in business development and corporate strategy, there were only six other employees. She was really there from the beginning. 
they had just raised about $400 million from, you know, pretty blue chip investors like Goldman Sachs and AT&T and WPP. And they were going to invest in television and film. I knew very little about the company. It wasn't really operational when I joined. I met the founders and they were both great. It was sort of where I got my entrepreneurial bug of, wow, this is so fun to be building, you know, a real company. One day would be, hey, you know, an agent has pitched us this film idea. Can you take a look and think about how how much this could make? So then I would you know, have my team go pull like a bunch of comps. What's a Vince Vaughn comedy with these elements? Go look in the past five years and let's see how well these movies did. And then from there, it could be, okay, well, we're also negotiating a potential deal with the star. So how much do you think he could make from this film with this deal that we're offering them? So I'd come in and be like, if this movie made as much as his last movie, he can make, you know, this this many million dollars. And then there is like the whole set of, well, you know, we're an independent film and TV studio. What other opportunities can we can we invest in? So it was really a cool mix of figuring out how to make the sausage and then sort of selling that sausage, you know, in the marketplace. Linda was the only woman in this powerful of a position at MRC. And she didn't just have a little power, she had a lot. She was responsible for talking to MRC's investors at Goldman Sachs and presenting what the company was doing to reach their goals. Talk about pressure. But Linda began to see advantages of being a woman in the film business. I think in entertainment, this is a broad generalization, but in, in entertainment, especially on the content side in LA, there's a lot of aggression, like male aggression, right? I would be in rooms with agents and lawyers, and there's a lot of posturing. It kind of feels like you're watching Nat, Nat Geo, you know, like kind of the wildebeests, like sort of signaling. In just seven minutes, this wildebeest calf will learn to run. And she'd better run, because ahead of her, lies a 2,000-mile obstacle course. I think as a woman, you know, you can kind of be aside from it, and it's an advantage. I was able to, I think, not be wrapped up in the who's got the bigger, you know. And in a way, you know, men aren't as threatened by women, and there are pros to that and there's cons to that. But I think, you know, in, in those situations, I was able to, I think, take a leadership position, even though I was more really kind of a junior person. Because, one, I, I, I did something that was very different from what other people were doing. So it was contributing kind of a unique point of view. And then, two, I think it was less threatening. But the CEOs of MRC were great mentors to Linda. They shared with her the secrets of being a confident presenter, something that's pretty hard to learn on your own. You know, really coaching me through my body language and what are some of the things that I should be correcting and giving me very specific feedback. And, you know, that was really helpful because I felt like, okay, here's somebody who is really good at what they do 
and you know to learn firsthand from this person some of the sort of tricks of the trade. You know, you don't sort of realize on your own sometimes what it is that you know you're not doing or you're doing too much of. So it was great to kind of kind of have that mentorship and and that that made a big difference. Can you give us an example of something he coached you not to do? I said a lot of um uh so a lot of trailing off the end of the sentence instead of making a point. A lot of things that I think women tend to do. I had to be really careful about that. A lot of like. <laughs> How did you actually train yourself out of it? Practice. Practice. And I do think what Sheryl Sandberg says about just having a seat at the table and just talking is so important. At least I have realized over my years of working with all different types of people that airtime is not equivalent with thinking time. Sometimes you just need to be heard and just say something. You don't need to overthink it, overanalyze it. It's just important to tell people how you think. And over time, you just grow to be comfortable putting your voice out there and developing your own style. That was not natural to me. You know, I felt like I needed to have the right thing to say. I needed to have the thoughtful thing to say. The most important thing is just to speak up. That note signals the arrival of our partner, Story and Heart, who is offering $25 off their online academy to She Does listeners for a limited time. If you're a self-taught filmmaker, you know how frustrating it is to find resources online. But Story and Heart Academy offers one place to find advice from seasoned professionals. You can expand your knowledge of everything, from narrative structure and cinematography to field audio and art direction. So head over to shedoespodcast.com academy to redeem this offer. That's shedoespodcast.com slash academy. I'll see you there. As you know, Linda's education was in engineering. And after three years of being at MRC, the company had grown to 45 people. And she was learning a lot. But being in the media business, she started to really crave more formal training. So she took her GMAT and applied to several top-notch schools. She got into Harvard Business School and says it was a no-brainer. She packed her bags, left L.A., and moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was so excited to go to Harvard. You know, Harvard for me was the most recognized business school brand in the world. There was a cachet of you know, those three letters, HBS. I was so excited for that. And in a lot of ways, it lived up to my expectations in terms of the quality of the professors, the curriculum, my biggest lesson was realizing that it wasn't that there were groups of people out there that really knew all the answers, that somehow I wasn't part of that group, you know, that there was a group of smarter, more high-achieving people with different backgrounds, and they kind of knew their way in life, and somehow I needed to catch up to them. This elite group in my head 
think was able to think through that we're all kind of trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives. That was really comforting <laughs> to feel that there isn't that race to get to the finishing line because we were all trying to figure out what our own finishing lines are, even at Harvard Business School. It was very freeing to just not have in the back of my mind these, I guess, insecurities. Harvard, as you might expect, helped Linda get her feet in some doors, one of which was Netflix. I had thought long, hard uh, in business school about what I wanted to do post-business school. I even worked uh, over the summer at a hedge fund to see something totally different, hated it, and came out and said, okay, what, what are some innovative companies that are doing innovative things? in the media space and Netflix was on my radar. I got a job there, I uh, reached out to the guy who was hiring and he happened to be an HBS alum. I don't think it got me the job, I think it was helpful to get a meeting. When I joined, the stock price was like over $300. That was in June. And then by you know July, they had announced that they were splitting the DVD from the streaming and the Quickster fiasco happened. The stock was at, you know, 75 going down to 50. I mean, that's a, that's a really, really large tumble. So here's the deal. Today, Netflix announced that it was splitting its business into two. All right, so you'll still be able to stream movies, but if you want DVDs, you're going to have to use a whole new service. Boy, are people pissed off about that one. Why is Netflix doing this? Why are they uh, shattering customers' dreams? There's a lot of reasons probably internally they're deciding to do this, but the big picture is that the future is streaming. The future is not DVDs. The future is not the U.S. What was great about Netflix was while the rest of the world was chattering away, and, and people love to talk about Netflix. Like, you cannot go anywhere just across just industry trade, business trade, and just general consumer coverage. There was so much just noise about the company. And it was really great to see it from the inside. They were so calm. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew they messed up. They knew that they really should have positioned it better and communicated better. But they didn't let it get to them. Being able to just focus on what it is you're doing and, and be able to put those blinders on, I felt like, wow, this is a different kind of company. This is a company that really knows where it wants to go and isn't afraid to just trust its own instincts. As the manager of streaming content strategy, Linda observed what Netflix users were consuming and made decisions for buying. She was asking questions like, what type of movies or television shows should we invest in? How many should we invest in? How much is it worth? Do we want to renew older films? She led the team that decides what you, yeah you, sitting there on your couch or your computer, have access to. Pretty cool job if you ask me. 
if you look at the universe of programming that Netflix has, it's figuring out kind of what are the right mix of the types of programming on the service. And then I went and spent most of my time on U.S. television, and that included the start of their originals. And we started with House of Cards, which, funnily enough, is a MRC production. So it was, felt a little bit full circle. So was there just like amazing excitement, nervousness? Like what was the, what was the atmosphere on Netflix? I mean, that, that's such a big move. Huge move. I remember thinking, oh, they don't know what they're doing. God, you know, this I've I done this before and this is really hard and there's a lot of risk. And and Netflix, we used to say, beyond bold. What you think is bold, think one step beyond it. And that was how you lived your corporate life. Don't shrink from what you think is too much. Do a little bit more. When you can execute as well as they do, that's that's a great philosophy to have. I don't think it's a good philosophy if you can't execute well. (laughs) That's how you fall on your face. (laughs) But after a year and three months, Linda decided she needed a change. When I told my boss I was leaving, he was like, "Uh, are you sure? No one really leaves this job. Like, it's a great job high potential. And I definitely agree with that. I mean, just look at, you know, how far it's gone since I left. But for me, I realized I really didn't want to do one thing for 24-7 of my professional life. Linda was craving high-level strategic planning. She wanted to be on the front lines, building something, putting out fires. And I realized, like, if I stay at Netflix, I'm always going to be the person that's going to just be thinking about the content-related questions. I don't enjoy as much the corporate stable job. I actually want something a little bit closer to the front lines of action. But it's hard, you know. It's, you know, when you walk into a room and you have a Netflix business card, people talk to you. People want to know more. You walk in with, you know, Timbuktu company it's like you're, you're always fighting, right? You're always fighting to be heard, fighting to have a seat. And, you know, th- so there's always downsides to every choice. But, you know, you, over time, you kind of learn to trust, to just trust your gut. Today, Linda is at SundanceNow.club. And similar to Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu, .club is an ad-free, member-based streaming service. But it's the only platform dedicated to the nonfiction genre. So we saw what was happening. We said, okay, well, surely there is room for small niche services that really serve passionate audiences of particular verticals. Because Netflix isn't really doing that. Netflix is giant and they're kind of like, you know, your ABC versus having the Food Network. Doc Club is the doc fan's best friend. Through curation and connecting the dots across the spectrum of documentary programming, 
Duck Club not only invites those well-versed in nonfiction film, but allows for newbies to find what they love about docs. And the curation runs the gamut, from festival releases from the last decade to fundamental films of the documentary canon, things you can't find anywhere else in one place. You know, a, a doc like Stop Making Sense. Like, it's really nowhere. This is a doc that is, that we think should be shown, should be seen, and it's like Cinema de Paradiso. Linda says Doc Club is constantly adapting, transforming, and responding to find exactly what their audiences want, but also to show them things they don't even know they want. You can explore curated documentary lists from Ira Glass to Susan Sarandon. And a monthly membership costs only $6.99, and annually $4.99 a month. That's less than a scone and latte these days. Of course, it's all in what you value. And Linda knows exactly what Doc Club values. At Doc Club, we love docs. We think docs are important. And we think that there are stories that should be made available to people. That's the thing with digital is that it's infinite shelf space, but people are still really only going to look at your top 10 shelves. Because digital consumption is different. It just fundamentally is. So being able to work with the medium, which is now a website, and you know 10 apps, and to make that a good experience, that's what we care really a lot about. It's kind of like our little video store that exists kind of in the cloud. We'd like to thank Linda Pan for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. You can follow her on Twitter at lpanda00, and you can follow us at She Does Podcast. This episode was produced by us, Sarah Ginsberg, and Elaine Sheldon, and sound design is by Billy Wurasnik. Our featured music maker this week is Casey Dinell, the singer-songwriter behind White Hinterland. Casey knew that music was going to be her path since the age of four, and at that time, she started playing the piano. Later, as a young adult, she attended the New England Conservatory. She has toured around the world and has opened for bands like Sun Lux, Beach House, and the Blind Boys of Alabama. And she says she draws inspiration from fields outside of music. It's very rare when I listen to anyone else's music that I'm like, yeah, I want to go work right now. It's more when I am experiencing other disciplines of art. I was going to the Met every week. And just looking at like all the different fabrics, you know, textures, like, oh, I really want, you know, this synth to have kind of a fuzzy sweater (laughs) texture. She's currently working on her new album, but just a year ago, she released her fourth album, Baby, which I urge you to go to iTunes right now and download. Baby has a lot going on. There's horns that my friend Cole came and green did when I was stuck I was like well I'll just enlist all of the best musicians I know so I have 
Neil Morgan on drums and Sean Carey on drums. I used some players that have worked with Beyonce. Like the whole time I was just pretty much learning on the job how to be an engineer. My favorite song off the album Baby is titled David. It also happens to be Casey's favorite song. David was the key into the rest of the album. I had been struggling for a while with what kind of record I wanted it to be because the nature of the songs was were very, very personal. I felt like I needed to see it through by myself. I just used an SM58 that I had lying around and then I stuck it in the back of the piano and I just recorded it all in like one take. And I was originally gonna like flesh it out with other instruments and things and I just said no. The reason I love that song so much is because it doesn't take all the ugly parts of life out of it, but it's not like, yeah, it's all going to be good, and I love you forever, and I think the world has a lot of great love songs like that, but I, I'm not really interested in sugarcoating things that can't be sugarcoated. I think it's good to talk about, because I think a lot of people who have depression, they are really embarrassed by it. She leaves us with one piece of advice that I think all artists can learn from. It's always okay to say no. I have this like vivid memory of a photo shoot that I just hated where they wanted me to be like pretty and cute. The photographer, he was not happy with the way I looked. And then he wanted me to hold a tiny toy piano in my hands. And he said, make a sexy little girl face. And I was like, cut. Record skip. <laughs> Just no. And I, I was really young. I was like 22. And even then I was just like, you know what? Whatever Piper I'm paying, it's not worth it if it's going to be like that. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com slash music for more information on Casey and her work. Thank you for listening to She Does. <laughs>